Hello, everyone, and welcome to Survive HR. I'm Steve Nell, and I'm here with Kelly Scheib. Hi, Kelly. Hi. How was that? Wow. You know, Kelly gave me the awesome responsibility of introducing the show. It's the first time it's ever been done. This is a, a history, a, a point in history. I don't know if it'll ever be repeated again, but I actually <laughs> enjoyed that. You know, thank you, Kelly. Oh, my word. <laughs> hey, you know something? There's. I was thinking about you today because... Uh, you know, again, I don't really compliment you a lot, but I got to compliment you on one thing. You are great at asking for money and getting <laughs> compensation. You're you're one of the best people I've ever seen doing that. And I thought we would do maybe a podcast on how to negotiate salaries right. and stuff like that. We have a guest. Let's oh, introduce do we, our oh, guest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you need me now that I've heard that. <laughs> we do have an expert here. We have Steve Hall from our sponsor, Find Great People. Yes, and he he knows about people asking for money all the time, huh? Yep, and I they would, ask. You, they I bet do you ask. Coach them. I bet you I coach them like, about it. I would like to start this episode with a story. Oh, I thought you were going to say a prayer. No, we maybe need a prayer. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> but um, I, I want to tell the story of the first time I asked Steve Nail for more money. Oh no, that's not a good story. I was I was twenty four. And he had just given me probably the biggest promotion of my life. Um, and he made me an HR manager. And, and it wasn't because – I'd like, I'd like to just kind of set the stage. I was 24 years old. It was a huge job, huge responsibility. And I'd like to set the stage that he didn't do it because I was just that great. He did it because he couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> right? So – that's, that's not my story. But that's the reality, right? Like, he was like, oh, cheap labor right there. That's the one. So um, Steve comes into my office. I don't know who this person is, but I know he's this vice president of HR um, from South Carolina, and I'm in Philadelphia at the time. He comes into my office, and he proceeds to berate me. Okay. So this isn't like like a little bit of berating. He proceeds to sit down in front of me and tell me, that kids my age, so it's 24, oh, wow. the kids my age know nothing, kids my age want too much, and kids my age um, are going to leave in a matter of 11 months. I think that's what you said, right? On average. Yeah. Like on average, 11 months. So let's just say that for the first six months, of, and then and then he never tells me anything. He leaves my office after he like beats me up. I've never met this guy. He leaves my office and then doesn't ever tell me if I've got the job. Okay? Never. Now, this was last week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, it was a long time ago. Um, but he never tells me if I get the job. So this is like on a Thursday. On a Monday, this woman who used to work for us comes to my office and says, I need you to switch offices. I need you to go sit in the manager's office. And I said, "What? what do you mean? And she's like, you have to go sit in that office. And I say, okay. So I just started doing the job of HR manager. Steve never speaks to me about this, never tells me anything, tells me after months, the money will come if you do the job. <laughs> Three years later, so, so I have like continuously, I'm like hitting the man up for money, hitting the man up for money, hitting the man up for money. Like he was like, piecemealing me money here and there. Three years later, I go into my own HRIS system and change my title because Steve has yet to promote me to HR manager. 
And then ultimately he moved me to Green Greenville and never told me what my new salary would be either. So let's just say, and let's set the stage for this conversation by, I have been extremely trusting of you. I might've asked a lot, but you haven't exactly delivered. So maybe I'm not the right person for this podcast since obviously I didn't do such a good job in asking for money, but how do you ask for money appropriately? Well, look, it's a true story. The, the, it was kind of true. No, but, it's entirely true. But, but if the average time for a millennial on the job was 11 months, all of my tactics apparently worked very well because Kelly continued to work not only for 11 months, but for 11 more years. And her salary grew quite a bit. Now, not the that back, much. The back, <laughs> the back, that, I had to leave. The back Just story. The back story is that she's 24 years old and she's demanding or asking, you know, for a hard fair to, wage. She's asking for the same wage. It was a fair wage. The same wage that the previous HR manager was who was reasonable. like had 15 years of experience was making. She has no experience. Now, the I did other, the job. The other thing that is a back story, which I, I took wrong. some gratification in, is that. When you came to Greenville and you'd been working for about 10 years and had progressed and all that sort of thing, I asked Kelly, I don't know if she'll remember this, but we sat down one day and we were just talking. I said, hey, Kelly, if you had been in my shoes and you had a 24-year-old that had just graduated from a master's degree, would you have given that person a 600-person unionized plant as the HR manager? And she immediately said, no. I mean. So I took a risk and it paid off. She's a great HR person. Okay. But <laughs> now to talk about compensation. Let's talk about compensation because I didn't do a good job. I didn't get the money that I wanted. Um, I didn't like Steve for a long time. And I make that abundantly clear to everyone that I've ever met is that, I mean, I would purposefully ignore him, ignore his phone calls for for like six months. I really, truly appreciated it. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like a blessing, but. You know, the, the thing is, you know, there people don't when they're getting jobs, just like Kelly. I mean, she, she I got to hand it to her. You know, she was assertive about her salary and and uh, and it grew. But how, you know, people going into the job or changing jobs, they may or may not have a reasonable expectation. They may not know how to what, what even to ask for. So I guess the question would be. If you're looking at a job, let's say you're getting out of college or you're early in your career and you don't have a lot of experience, maybe other than than internships or maybe a you know some job for a short period of time, how do you know what is the right salary to ask for? Is that a question? That's that, a question. That's okay. a question. Can I tell you what not to do? Sure. Okay. And I don't know if you'll agree with me, but the thing that aggravates me the most is when they come to me with salary.com data hmm. that really gets on, like that really gets under my skin because it's the worst data in the entire world. Like the sal salary.com, like as a company, I, I purchase their software, right? Because I actually believe in their actual comp analyst data, but like what people can self report on salary.com right. or like Glassdoor. Right. It's terrible. Like I, I love when someone comes to me. They're like, "I would like to make two hundred thousand dollars a year. I have no experience, but I'm great." And I'm like, "That's is her name? Ke is her name Kelly?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
Steve. I'm giving him really. <laughs> I can't say what I want to say because it's a podcast. But She's hey, uh, me that hey, nice Steve, who's sitting next to me. Why don't you answer that question for me? Well, so I kind of look at it in terms of leverage. Okay, if you're just exiting out of college. You have none. <laughs> you you really don't have a lot of leverage other than the fact that the need for people is greater than the supply. So if we know even today um, or last recorded um, information from the government, if you've got about a million point six more jobs than you have unemployed people, well, that changes the equation for just about anybody that is employed. But if you're in the unemployed category, that makes that leverage weaker. So I think if you're coming out of college, and I speak at a lot of college campus, campuses because I, I think that not only compensation and expectations, but also um, the soft skills that they're not getting in college today. Um, my some, desire, some colleges. Okay, with the exception of yours. Um <laughs> My desire is to, like is, to is to okay. Are you two going to take over here? Because I can Sorry, just step Steve. back. No, just Go kidding. Ahead. Um, I, I would really like to see that the the younger generation grow in the professionalism as they're coming into the workforce. Um, the expectations are just unreasonable, and the problem with comp data that you've just referred to, um, as a headhunter, I would just say anytime somebody would use that with me as the basis for what they should be paid, um, my response is you do understand there's no way to validate any of this information. It's what you record selectively, and it's what maybe some company officials record on the employer side. I'm in the middle, and I can't validate either. So short of me getting your W-2 if you're willing to give that to me, then maybe we've got something to talk to or talk about, and, and very few people are willing to do that these days. But I, I just think that for young people, especially those that are coming into the workforce, you're only worth what somebody is willing to pay. That's it, bottom line. You can have all the data that you want to support that, but if a company is not willing to pay that amount, then you're going to keep looking and looking and looking until somebody maybe says, I'll pay that. If you can find it, well, then maybe that's great. But more often than not, they're going to, they're going to find that, in, in my experience, that that's going to be an uphill challenge. So I prefer to just encourage young people to have a little humility in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, I'm not saying that they need to be grateful that somebody's willing to offer a job. That's not it at all. The need for talent is strong, and that's to their advantage. But when you're in an interview situation and you get down to the negotiating component, when you don't have somebody like me or my firm in the middle, then it's a little bit of a game of chicken. Whoever blinks first may lose. And you don't always know what's appropriate. So in my old days, I used to encourage candidates to speak in terms of ranges. So if if you suspect that the job would pay, let's just say, 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever it might be, just be careful not to focus on one single number. Like, I need 40 to 5 because now we may be negotiating ourselves above the pay range or we may actually be leaving money on the table. And so I think if you start with a general range, 
and that can be within a five or ten thousand dollar spread that you're willing to talk. But then it's just a matter of what they're willing to pay you. So let me leave it at that and see what questions. But you I have. guess the thing for me, Steve, is you know you've got to have some idea because you don't want to have people that are completely unreasonable in their expectations or somebody that's really their expectations aren't aren't where they should be you know for the job and so they you know do you you can talk to other people i think that have come out of school and taken similar jobs say in the accounting field just you know or or in the supply chain field or something so you know in uh, what they've gotten and then i think also with all this i think there's um you know, you, Kelly mentioned salary.com. You've got Glassdoor. You've got some of these other sites that give general information that people have reported. But you also have to take into account regional differences in that Absolutely. everything else. But you need to have a, at least some reasonable idea in your mind. And I guess, I guess people could contact a recruiter potentially and say, oh, sure. what, you know, what would a, the range be? But you... I'm just searching for something that would help them help people understand kind of how to get at least a general idea of what would be paid for a certain position. So my experience is, is that if they're coming out of college with specialty degrees or focus degrees, accounting, engineering, things such as this, when you just have a business administration degree, now you're walking into some uncharted territory because you don't have a specialization really much to speak of. Or if you have a humanities degree, you're even in worse um, leverage. Or a psychology uh, degree. <laughs> or sociology um, for some of the athletes that, you know, they tend to go that route so simply because they can get through school that way. And then when they graduate, they're, they're stuck with, well, I don't know what to do with myself. But if you're on some of the um, professional degree areas, like I mentioned, the IT, um, the accounting, the engineering, and so on. The thing is, is that a lot of your professors are going to have a read on what the market is paying. The reason for that is because some of the companies are reaching out to those professors, and they're looking for those um, overachieving grads that are coming out. Compensation tends to get mixed into that equation and so I do think that if you're coming out with a degree, your professors may actually have a better handle on this. If you're going into the public accounting space, you know, here again, um, they're they're going to offer you what they what they are willing to pay and what they know the market to be. So if you ask enough questions, I think you can find some sort of a guidance on that. The hardship is when you know nobody and your and your degree is not that specialized then it's a bit of a Wild West guess. Yeah, and I would, I would also say that in today's world, and Kelly, you can validate or invalidate what I'm about to say, but with the laws currently the way they're going, I think more and more compensation systems are going to be really formalized. So when you generally when you get an offer, I mean, they, they may be playing in a range, but it's probably going to be a more narrow range. So if they say it's $45,000 for this, whatever this position is, um, management trainee or something, $45,000, they may have a couple of thousand dollars of wiggle room in there to talk about, but not a lot. Is that correct, Kelly, or no? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I do think that companies are not as willing to negotiate many of their offers anymore because they're trying so hard to maintain internal equity, right? 
So I think that that's, I think that that's true. I think when it comes to especially like people coming out of college with limited experience, mm-hmm. I think there needs to be just a general appreciation of what that experience is worth. Right. Don't look at me like that, Steve. <laughs> this is, wait, we we started off this whole conversation no, sh- about how sh- you design. Sh- hey. Shush, my. It's interesting how when you get experience and you're a little older, no, okay. now you can say these things. Steve, I have told you on more than one occasion that the experience that I got very young in my career has driven my career mm. very quickly. Um, and and I, I, I think that that's kind of one of the things that a lot of people, you know, I, I speak at a lot of universities as well. And I think that that's one of the things that I always stress to the students is you're going to make mistakes in your career you're going to make bad choices in your career but i firmly believe that every single decision you make gets you exactly where you need to be um my first job out of grad school was at a company that i quit in 60 days right because it was the world's worst experience in the entire world but it got me exactly where i needed to be and the experience that i got there was like a catapult quite frankly um, and, and experience I got there was experience I, I use to this day in a completely different role, right? So I think that there has to be a general appreciation for what you're going to learn. So so my advice is always know your bottom dollar. Like know what you can, what you can live on. And what you're willing to walk away and from. And what you're willing to walk away from. And understand that the experience that you're going to get can be a catapult for you into something far bigger, far quicker. I mean, I'm 14, 15 years out from my initial job and not that far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, my, my career has grown exponentially. And I think that that is reality if you use those, especially those initial jobs as springboards. And I'm not saying leave the company because I, di- I didn't leave my company, but like use them even internally as springboards to different roles. I do think companies eventually are short-sighted and they like to give these like small increases to internal folks. And sometimes you do have to use the the leave sure. to get the bigger money. Yeah, that's because, and that's uh, just as an aside, but it's, it's internal equity versus external equity. And sometimes the ex- because of the economy, the external equity or external pricing you know, for jobs is going up higher than the internal equity where you've got budgeted numbers of t- 3%, let's yeah. say. So if the market's going up 6% and your internal uh, equity is 3%, that's the budget numbers, then you can go down very quickly. The one thing that I, I do want to mention or, or ask about is the uh, is besides, you know, there's more to compensation than money, okay? Uh, there's, you know, you can have, and you could have signing bonuses. I mean, you mm-hmm. see that a lot today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Steve, if you're seeing that in, yes. in, your, in your deals, you've got different kinds of benefits. You've got the flexible working arrangements, work from home, telecommuting, Relo, all, equity, that's right, lo, yep. Relo. you've got uh, all, all sorts of things that really mean a lot to people that they need to factor in that actually have a, a value. So with <clears throat> the millennial generation, mostly what we're seeing at this time is they do want to be paid. So I would just say it's not fair to, to cast the whole group. In, in one light, right? But a lot of them have a higher expectation 
of what they're worth based on the experience level, and you mentioned that earlier. However, there are other things that are bumping into this equation, and for a lot of the millennials, it's the difference between a flexible work schedule. So um, I have some younger teammates, and if they're getting their work done, if they're meeting the activity goals and metrics, um, then why do they need to sit there until 5 or 5.30? Why can't they leave at 4 or 4.30? So I see more of that happening with our younger population. That's part of the total package of what they're looking for in a company. Um, I get that they also want to be treated as a peer instead of the former equation that I heard going on between the 24-year-old and the old man across from me. Um, I didn't say it. Thank you. Yeah, that's the first time. You had a, you had a, you had a surrogate say it. Right. Um, I think the, the idea that I won't take that job unless I have the title, the corner office, and also all the vacation time, and also I want to be able to come and go as I please with the money, that's out of bounds, and, and that equation is not working for our, our younger generation. Um, I think if you also look at the company that you're talking to, um, the difference between a public company and a privately small, a small privately held, even family-owned company, the core values are going to be different. And so if I were looking at a small privately held company, I would be mindful of the fact that compensation is not probably the number one thing inside of that company it'd be it'd be interesting to find out what the tenure is of those team members uh, one of our clients i was in a few weeks ago and they had people there that have been there for 40 years 30 years 20 years multi-generational family members we're talking about a manufacturer here yeah privately owned about 110 million in in revenue but the employees felt like they were family and we're talking several hundred. The way in which they see compensation is different than if I'm going to go work for a much larger publicly traded, and won't mention any names here, but I just think it would help them if they understood who their audience was that they were going to interview with, and that might lead them down the path of what they should be asking and demanding. And the work experience, quite frankly. Yeah. I've worked at publicly traded, privately you know, privately held family companies, the work experience is entirely different. Yeah. And uh, one thing, what are you seeing if there is a trend? I mean, signing bonuses, how often are they given? What percentage? How, how are they, how they, what's the average kind of a signing bonus? So the signing bonus circumstance really is coming into play when we need it to get over the hump. You know, when we're short on compensation and, to your point, Kelly, earlier when we're talking about internal equity and trying not to completely destroy the barn because if word gets out, it, it will be a problem. And we know how everything is so confidential, right? Um, we know these these things leak yeah, out. no one says anything about their salary. So from a human resource, resource perspective, you've got a budget. You're trying to probably stay at the mid-range of that budget or – under if you can make that happen mm -hmm. but today's equation of supply and demand is making that a little tricky so the signing bonus is really a great way to get ourselves past that 
Candidates need to recognize, of course, that that's taxable income regardless. The benefit to the company, of course, is I keep the annual salary base where I want it coming in, and um, I'm going to give a little extra bonus on top of that, but next year the review is going to be based off the lower what, number. What, what percentage are you, on average, are you seeing as a signing bonus? So we're seeing this mostly with mid to higher level roles. We're not seeing this with lower level roles. I wouldn't well, offer signing bonuses to yeah, for an SMA out of college, no. I guess, or an early career. But what about I a would, stay bonus? No, you would not offer a stay bonus. I only offer I only offer stay bonuses if there are um, if there's like a reason I need them to stay. Like you know, I have this really super critical project and I can't have them searching, right? Like not like a closure or anything, but like. I can't have them searching right now. If they leave, they will cripple me. I'll offer retention then, but and otherwise, what about no. performance bonuses? Are you are you you know how many companies do either of you or either of you seen that are going deeper in the organization than they used to go uh, to to give people a piece of the pie, so to speak? Incentives are very common, so uh, it's it's unusual. To actually have a, a client of ours not have some sort of incentive compensation arrangement, even for some of the lower-level roles. And I'm not talking about production line level. I'm just thinking of professional office support and up kind of scenarios. Yeah, and, of course, 401K is very important uh, to people these days, particularly since, who knows, Social Security may not be around for for. Certainly for Kelly or you, maybe even for me, but um, what kind of rate are you seeing? What kind of programs are you seeing on the, uh, or say, an average uh, 401k offering? So when we can get a match, that's that's like a golden cow. It's like we, we that's that's great. Really? It doesn't always happen. Really? Really. Um, I mean, you have some scenarios where you might see a, a 6% um, with a match on top of that, that would really be great. But 3 to 6% is about what... So a 3 to 6% employer contribution. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, that's shocking to me. I mean, 3 to 6% is what I would expect, but the the fact that people wouldn't be matching at this point is... That's unusual from what I've researched, but... Well, many people want to live for the day, but I mean... One thing I would say to anybody that listens is, you know, you need to really think about your 401k because unlike, mm-hmm. you know, there's defined benefit plans right. and those are the, what we would call the re, the uh, traditional retirement <laughs> and they just really don't exist. Don't exist and so anymore. a lot of people, uh, my vintage and older have them, but younger people are going to have to rely on whatever the government provides, which isn't much. Right. And and their own investments. So you yeah. really need to take that that part of it seriously. But that's an important part for consideration for any 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 new person coming out of college and or you know going into a career for the first time. All right, we are way over. We are. This is a long episode. Wow. Um, hey, Steve. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Not you, Steve. You, Steve. Yes, oh, wait a my minute. pleasure. Well, Steve, do you appreciate me being there? Sure. Okay, great. <laughs> so I appreciate Fine Great People as our sponsor. Also, Hainsworth Sinkler Boyd. You, if you need attorneys, Hainsworth Sinkler Boyd's a great firm. And also Gallagher, who's a sponsor. We really appreciate them as well. Yes, we do. Thank you so much. Thank you, folks.